Welcome today to the Entrepreneurial Mindset Community. I'm your host, Ron Murphy. Today, we'll be talking with Tappan Shaw, Venture Capital Representative from Mondelez International. Tappan, welcome to the program today. Could you uh, just give us a little background about Mondelez and, and how you got started with them? Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, excited to be here. So I've been at Mondelez for about two years, um, uh, but I've been in the natural food space for 20 um, Mondelez is one of the largest, uh, snack companies in the world. We're number one in the world in biscuits. So it's cookies and crackers, uh, number two, and, you know, hopefully soon to be number one in chocolate, uh, though that's primarily international for us. We have a very large growing presence in the in-store bakery space. We made an acquisition uh, out of Canada called Give and Go. Uh, we recently made a transformational acquisition of Cliff Bar that was over $3 billion. Um, so that, that, that launch us in the stratosphere of largest, you know, bar companies in the world with a, a really, uh, what I call an OG natural, natural foods brand in cliff. Um, we have a large presence, you know, globally in candy, think brands like Sour Patch Kids and, and, and Swedish Fish, uh, and also gum. Uh, so we, you know, we're really looking and, and working to, to grow this business, we're performing really well in what I call the large Mondelez world. My little slice of the universe is making investments and leading investments for Mondelez in earlier stage uh, brands and technologies that are more tip of the spear. So moving, you know, moving into more BFY spaces, new categories, early stage brands, but also new technologies, you know, as enablers of, uh, of different areas of our organization. And so it's an exciting time and it has been for the last decade plus an exciting time to be investing in the space. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, could you talk a little bit more about uh, how venture capital uh, came about for you in, in terms of your career and, and how that fits in with, um, with Mondelez? You know, a lot of our, our viewers are, 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 and, and listeners are uh, familiar with going to a store and, and seeing your product on the shelf, but actually how it gets there and, and kind of the process of, uh, of purchasing uh, and, and the supply chain and, and, and kind of your role in, in, in terms of that, um, I think would be really interesting for, for our listeners. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. So I, I'll start with myself first. So I... Uh, I was, I'll go way back to the beginning and I won't, I won't go too long on this, but, but I was one of the uh, early employees, you know, look, think inside the top 100 uh, employees uh, at Vitamin Water uh, long before, you know, well before 50 Cent and long before Coca-Cola acquired us. And for me, it was, um, it was a, a transformational experience on two levels. It's my first job out of college. I didn't know what I wanted to do but I knew the product. And so I found a job working in the field. So I was doing everything from working with distributors to doing sampling events, to stocking shelves for, for this emerging brand, you know, and we grew like we grew exponentially over my two plus years there. And it really set a groundwork that I was really passionate about food and natural food, not just as a consumer, but I liked working in it. And it really set me down on the path. The other transformational part of it for me was it was at the first day of my first job, I met a woman, uh, who was also her first job out of college and her first day at her first job. And that ended up, ended up becoming my wife, who's also made a, you know, two decade career, you know, mostly in the natural food space as well. So, so really interesting experience. And it sent me down a path 
to go get my MBA, to work in a few years of traditional brand management uh, at the Campbell Soup Company, you know, but ultimately working my way back to the startup space. I, 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 I was a leader at a, uh, a company that was owned by Mike Rapoli, the founder of Vitamin Water, who to this day remains a mentor of mine. Uh, and that was in the restaurant space, but it really got me back into the startup space. And how I got into venture capital was a little bit more, I guess, serendipitous. Um, I was at a, uh, housewarming party, pushing my daughter in a stroller, get in an elevator in New York city with another family who was pushing their young son in a stroller. We started chatting in our elevator ride down. And you know, he mentioned that his sister-in-law was starting a new VC fund accelerator in New York city. Um, that was called Excel foods now today called AF ventures. And it put me on my investing path. That was in 2013. Uh, joined AF Ventures before they even, you know, before uh, before the founders even raised their first fund. And so I was basically a founding member of the team and helped grow that platform into a second fund and and made many many investments in the space. And uh, you know, I left in 28 at the end of 2017. So after about five years. Uh, for one reason and one reason only is I didn't want to commute to New York City from where I live in Connecticut anymore. Um, I still remain very close with that team. I've co-invested on numerous deals. I'm an investor in the fund uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm best friends best friends with the team, Jordan Gaspar in particular, the found founder there uh, of AF Ventures. But I loved being on the VC side and I, an opportunity landed in my lap in 2018 to actually go uh, be a part of the investing team at PepsiCo. And so I moved over to PepsiCo and uh, it was a great experience for me. I loved my time there. I still miss it. Uh, great team, great people. Daniel Grubbs, Daniel Grubbs, a name that some of your founders will know. Um, ultimately, before you know, landing the opportunity to go head up all venture capital at Mondelez, which I've been, I've been for over two years now. The, you know, our space has evolved in the 20 years I've been there, but let's say even in particular, the 10 years that I've been on the investing side. You know, and I think that most of it good, but some of it bad. Um, you know, the, the good is supporting entrepreneurs, you know, and, and Ron, you're a child of an entrepreneur and you yourself are a pseudo entrepreneur running running Murphy's Markets and, and all that goes into it. And and I'm a child of, entrepreneur, of, of an entrepreneur as well. And so for me, the real thing is really supporting the two things I do care about, right? One being entrepreneurs, but two being, you know, the future of our food ecosystem. And there's really far end, far afield stuff in regenerative agriculture and technology. And you know, that's not my world. My world is really supporting early stage brands and people that are trying to bring new products that are better for you or healthy or interesting to market and really bringing those to consumers. And it's complicated. It takes a lot of money. It takes complicated supply chain distributors um, that are, you know, many good, many not so good, but kind of a necessary thing to get your market, your product to shelf sourcing, sourcing ingredients, you know, many of them complicated that don't have robust supply chains from around the world. And then there's the financial aspect. Are you do you have a good P&L? Are you able to make money? Do you have good gross margins? How do you grow a brand, not just in the era of social media, but in the era of, you know, moving from Facebook to Instagram to TikTok and all the other e-commerce channels? It's just, it's Amazon. It's just complicated. And, and I think that we're evolving every day. The one thing that the investors in our space, I think, have done a disservice is, is the concept of, you know, growth at all costs. 
you know, the tech companies that, that the investing, the venture model, you know, was based on, they can grow their user base. They grow, they can grow like a weed and grow fast. And they, you know, what I, what the term I always use is they light money on fire. Um, in our space, the concept of lighting money on fire isn't as easy. It's complicated to make products. And if you're making products, you know, here on the East coast, where we're all based on this, on, on this, uh, podcast, uh, you know, getting products to the West coast, it's not just money. It also takes time opening, you know, opening retailer doors, whether it's the market, you know, down the corner from you to, you know, the large giants like Kroger or Walmart or Costco uh, and everything in between, it just takes time. And we, we were okay for a while with this lighting money on fire concept, but really what COVID taught us was that we need better, more efficient businesses that really serve customers. And maybe they're regional, maybe they're smaller, maybe some of them get bigger. I don't know the answer. We're trying to figure it out, but the more fundamentally sound businesses are the areas that we're really focusing on. In terms of challenges today, um, you know, at, at the retail level, there's obviously uh uh, inflationary pressures, there's uh, labor shortages, supply chain. Uh, in terms of Mondelez and, and, and the things that you guys discuss internally, what, what do you guys see as, as a major challenge um, in today's business environment? You know, my, my joke answer is yes, but, but, but the reality is, <laughs> is there's the challenges that big multinationals like Mondelez and our competitors and, and, you know, not just across food and beverage, but our peers in beauty and personal care, et cetera, are seeing are everything that you listed, right? So supply chain is complicated. Um, uh, inflationary pressures are complicated. So we think of pricing, right? We think, you know, th you, you can imagine, Ron, what you're doing, you know, what you're seeing pricing coming in the back door and then how you have to cascade that to your customers and how challenging, you know, sometimes that can be for your customer, you know, for your consumers. Um, but, but, but ultimately, you know, we have to make the decisions that that support this massive organization. We're ninety, you know, nine, you know, roughly ninety thousand people, well over thirty billion dollars in revenue, and we have to think of those pressures and and how we not just think of today, but how that's going to affect long term. And I look at those, and I have to work with my portfolio companies, my founders, not just the ones that I'm invested in, either professionally or personally, but also just the founders that I talk to on a daily and a regular basis through the industry, you know, and how they have to dynamically think about their business. And they have to be a little bit more, um, you know, I would say irrational about things. They sometimes need to eliminate an entire channel of trade because it's not working for them, right? A brand that might be doing well in grocery has decent revenue, let's make up a channel inconvenience, but isn't making as much money or the supply chain is complicated, you know, to, to some extent, you have to, you have to be a little ruthless and say, you know, what? I can't service these guys. I can't make enough money doing this. So I need to eliminate an entire channel. And that does affect the consumers, even if it's a small base in a different channel that, that affected you. And I think that that's, that's hard because we do this for the people that believe in, in what we're doing in our brand, in our products, they've integrated into their lifestyle. And so you have, but you have to think, holistically. And what I talk about with our founders is taking the learnings that that my large multinational brilliant organization is doing and thinking about how you have to really be targeted and be logical in how you are managing. I was, everything to me comes back to the P&L. And so 
what is your if your PL in grocery looks one way, does your PL at club or in e-commerce or in in convenience or food service, other channels look different ways and being hard about making sure you're operating the places, not just that you can make money, though that is incredibly important, but also that you can service your distributors the best. You can service your customers like a Murphy's Market the best. And and if we can't service you, then should we be there right now? These are small businesses and we think, you know, we have to think holistically of 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 how how we can build a base to get from 3 million to 10 million, from 10 million to 25 million, from 25 million to 50 million, because there's costs, there's people, there's just, there's so many dynamics that, that go into play that we are stepping back and we're doing that. We've been doing that since COVID hit, but even right now, because of all the challenges you listed, we're stepping back and, and, and really being tough about everything. And we're challenging in a boardroom or even on one-off calls of my founders, challenging every thought because we want to make sure that we're building the best quality business for the future. That's, that's really, really interesting. Thank you, Tappan. Um, in terms of, uh, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here and talk a little bit about um, yourself and how you got started. And then for our listeners, um, try to uh, segue into how they could get started. Um, we've, we've had some other guests on the show that were startup entrepreneurs, you know, had an idea, had a skill, had a trade and that kind of thing and kind of build off of that. Mondelez is a, is a large international company. Um, so, so the recruiting process is a little different. The, uh, the startup process is a little different. What, what, what kind of advice Tappan would you have for somebody who's looking to get a start um, with Mondelez or Pepsi? You had mentioned that you spent some time uh, in the beverage space as well. What, what, what type of advice um, would you offer uh, somebody who's just out of college um, uh, like, like, like yourself uh, that that's interested in getting started with a company like yours? Yeah. I, you know, I'll step back and I'll, t- I'll take something that I learned my first day at vitamin water 20 years, you know, over 20 years ago, which is the first thing is, is, you know, and I think this holds true for any industry, but really I'm going to speak to food because food itself is incredibly personal, whether it's your oatmeal in the morning or your glass of wine at night and everything else that you consume during the day. It's all personal. It gives you sustenance. It gives you, it helps with mental clarity. It helps with health. Or on the other side, it's not that good for you, but it's delicious. <laughs> or or a whole, a whole bunch of other things. So I, I always look at it as in food, passion is everything. Do you care? So if you want to work at a big company, do you care about what they do? Do you care about going to sales? You're going to operations? Do you care about what you're doing? That's the most important thing. Do I have any secrets of how you can get a, you know, get a breakthrough with Mondelez or, or other multinationals? I don't, but I can tell you that you got to care and excuse my French here, but you got to give a shit. And that's, that's something that I think a lot of people really, you know, when you're looking at to break in, whether you're young or old, you know, at some point you, you kind of are just looking for a job, but here care from the startup space into getting, getting into a startup. It's actually a bit more, it's a bit more direct because we are looking for people who care and have, have, have any skill that we can use because we just need smart people and passionate people and talented people everywhere. And so we look at it as, you know, are you a student of the space? Do you visit wherever it is you live? I don't care where in the country you live. Do you visit your farmer's markets? Are you a student of the grocery store? Do you need to be an expert in data? No, you do not. But do you read up on newsletters? Are you reading, you know, you know, are you listening to the Entrepreneurial Mindset podcast? Are you are you 
Are you reading BevNet and Notch, right? BevNet started in New York today. Are you watching the free live stream online of the biggest non-alcoholic beverage conference that exists in the world? Like, are you doing those things? Because then you can go incredibly meet founders, meet investors like myself, meet, you know, store owners like Ron, and and you can you can go and talk to them. Hey, I want to work with you, Ron, because you I love what you guys are doing with your with you with your base, how you're doing product mix. I learned about these products in these things and I care and I want to help the people that walk through the door and help your team be better. Tap in. I want to like figure out a way to work with you or one of your portfolio companies because I've been a student and you don't have to be a the smartest person in the room, but you got to be somebody who has a predilection for wanting to learn more and and bring the passion that you're um that that, that you're bringing to that that learning into the job. And to me, I can I can list dozens of people who broke into our space, especially the early stage space, whether on the investor side or on the business side, solely because they found something they were interested in. It was a passion for them. It was something that they cared about. And they drove, drove, drove to trying to get a role in doing that. And that is the way to do it. I tell people, show up at a trade show and show up at a cheaper trade show. Fancy food show is going on in New York starting you know, in, in, in 12 days. The tickets are $59 or $159. I don't know what the answer is, but it's something that's affordable for most people who have an entrepreneurial kind of bent to them. And like, go and walk around the floor and you see my badge and it says Mondelez, stop me, say hello. You see Ron's badge and it says Murphy's Markets, stop him and say hello. Or the guy from Kroger or the guy from this VC fund, UNFI, Kehi, the large distributors. Our space is incredibly collegial. And even if investors are competing for deals, our space has always been very collegial where we want to help found, we want to help people who want to break into the business. We want to help entrepreneurs, but we can't go find every entrepreneur. We need those entrepreneurs to come to us. And it's not just through a cold email. It can be through meeting me somewhere and saying hello. Yeah. At Murphy's, we have some of the same uh, philosophy, you know, basically our tagline for somebody who who's looking for a job is, if you have a you know a passion for food and you like people, we can teach you. Uh, and that's that's kind of the same you know some of the takeaways I uh, gathered from from what you were saying there is really it's on it's on the person. It's on you know be uh, somewhat aggressive and to be interested and in, and to show that you care in some way, um, you know, and, and then you open up doors for opportunity. So um, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think it. I think it matters. I, I think it's important not again because the nature of food being so personal. I think it. I think it. I think it. It actually holds true across the entire value chain. So if you're an engineer and you want to work at a you know in a Mondelez plant, like I'm sure the fact that you care about like what we're doing and what we're making will help you. If you like driving a truck and like that's important, but you want to be driving a truck of stuff you care about. I'm sure at any big company or frankly for Murphy's that also drives, that also helps. It's not the only thing because you have to have skills, but I'm sure it helps. Absolutely. Um, in terms of uh, you have some, some vast experience uh, with, with a number of different companies um, in terms of changes that you've seen, uh, you had mentioned COVID and COVID really uh, was a, a driving force for a lot of technological advances. We've seen them at the retail level in terms of labor saving technologies and self-checkouts and electronic shelf labels and things like that. 
but not necessarily technological, technologically speaking only, but uh, what, what types of changes have you seen in the industry um, over the last few years? Yeah, I think before COVID, everybody was trying to do everything and be everywhere all at once. So they were having, you know, they were having their own e-commerce. They were going onto other e-commerce sites like Thrive and they were doing Amazon. And COVID and then in this post-COVID universe actually really, you know, and then, well, let me step back for a second. And then on the other side of it was this, what I was mentioning earlier, the concept of lighting money on fire and these businesses that were growth at, growth at all costs. And what I really learned over COVID was good businesses and people, you know, even in challenging times, the businesses that were going to survive in challenging times are people that ran good businesses. So taking these businesses that were lighting money on fire and turning them into good businesses. So slower growth, but cutting your burn, burn, for those that don't know on, on here, burn is basically how much money, you know, the easiest way to understand is how much money you're losing each month, not, you know, you're making money, but then you're spending money. So how much total money you're losing each month? So how do we, yes, maybe we reduce growth, but how do we also reduce burn or eliminate it at total and build a more fundamentally sound business? Because if you have a good business, the, you can do anything. Not everybody is going to exit to Mondelez or PepsiCo or Coca-Cola. Very few companies are actually, but there's always good outcomes. It might be as a family business, it might be private equity, it might be to somebody, some, something else. And so how we thought about it was how do you build good businesses? And so e-commerce is a really good one. Everybody thought they needed to have their own e-commerce site. And frankly, the answer is they don't. Amazon, there's a lot of good people who've really been smart about, let's say, places like Amazon have found ways not just to make a little bit of money on Amazon, make a lot of money on Amazon. And so you have a buy now for my product on your website, it sends them to your page on Amazon, for example. And that's like a really minor thing, but cutting off your own e-commerce and the complications for you and all the money spent on building an e-commerce database, for example. So that money can be focused A, on Amazon, but B, really on your, your retail business, you know, where consumers are still predominantly shopping, right? I don't know the exact numbers today, but when we thought during COVID that was going to be the shift, everybody was going to move to, to buying all their food online. Nothing online replaces going into a grocery store and smelling a cantaloupe or touching a tomato or just going down the cereal aisle and saying, wow, I always buy this cereal, but I'm going to try this. It still is a majority. I mean, the last number I saw, and I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I'm sure I'm fairly close, was even in post-COVID, it was still 87% of people were buying all their food and beverages at retail, right? I don't think, I think that number pre-COVID was like only like, it was only like 91%. That's a 4% shift of people who've eliminated, right? 91, 93%, 4, 5, 6% shift of people eliminating grocery store walks. And while that does affect you, Ron, and other national retailers, it's still like your bread is buttered by people walking in the door and having a good shopping experience. And so I'm jumping a little bit, but what I'm, what, where, where I'm going is, is COVID really sharpened our pencils on how we think about running these businesses. You can't be everywhere all at once. You can't do everything. You can't light money on fire. You gotta be fundamentally sound. You gotta focus on the right channels of trade and then grow and then move into new channels of trade as time goes on and really think about you know the other areas. Think about the partnership you have with your distributors and your retailers and how frankly that relationship should, I'm not, not many brands are doing it, but that relationship should be more personal, be in, you know, to a founder of a CPG business, 
be in less doors, but build a personal relationship with those retailers, and you're going to grow a better business long term. In terms of any growth plans or opportunities for Mondelez, um, is there anything that you guys are looking forward in terms of, um, you had talked about trends. Um, I know that you guys are kind of always looking to expand your portfolio in terms of uh, uh, the categories and subcategories that uh, you're, in, you're invested in. Um, is there any types of opportunities kind of on the horizon that, um, that you'd be willing to share today with our listeners? We are highly focused on our core categories that I listed earlier. So again, I'll repeat those things like things like biscuit and chocolate and bakery and bars and those areas, but there's a lot that goes into those, right? And so we're thinking about things a lot of things, you know, we're, we're thinking is if you think of, of, uh, of, um, of building blocks into those spaces, right? So thinking of things like functional food and what is that, but what does that mean inside our space? How do you unlock functional functionality is really unlocked itself in beverage. Has it unlocked itself in food outside of let's say protein bars? I'm not sure that it has. So how are we thinking about functional foods long-term again, within the constraints of the spaces that are interesting to us? How are we thinking about just BFY in general? We do do a lot of, you know, we, 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 we always want to be better and we know that the consumer is moving there. How fast is a whole different question, but, but what we know that's important. How are we looking at, you know, how, how are brands thinking about route to market? So when we are looking at, you know, are you doing something unique like text to order? And what are those learning? You know, can we invest in that, grow that? And what are those learnings we can bring to the broader organization? Um, to me, the biggest unlock out there for brands big and small is personalization. Right. So we do it with personalized Oreos in the U.S. and personalized chocolate with Toblerone in, in Europe. Those are big multinational brands. How are brands that are being built on um, on personalization, whether it's in the, you know, in the supplement space, in the nutrition space? But really, what about in the indulgence space? Can you do personalized you know, can you do stuff, you know, in, in fun spaces? Can you do stuff with personalized bars? Because Ron wants a protein bar, so does Tappan, but Ron has different needs than Tappan does, right? And so, um, and so we, you know, those are the areas that are interesting for us. That doesn't mean that those are the only trends that are out there. We're seeing trends in, you know, we're seeing trends in low sugar, low salt, low fat. We're seeing trends in, um, you know, in 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 sweetener alternatives. We're seeing trends in in packaging, right? Those are those are those are those are trends also that are also important to us. But 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 to us, trends. There's trends and there's sustainable trends. I think that's a big big big. Um, line of demarcation, not all trends of today are trends that are going to be sustainable forever. And, and I'll, you know, one, one, one I'll use is, um, is keto. And so the word keto is almost like a bad word for consumers, but the principles of keto, I believe, are here to stay for a very long time, if not forever, right? And so, so, so while we're not, we're not interested in the fact that you're, that a brand is a pure keto brand, those principles that build on keto are things that we firmly believe, and I think the data shows, are here to stay for the long term. And so how can we invest in support in founders that are really building on those, those building blocks around keto without being overly keto? Because that does, for example, turn off a subset of consumers. In terms of um, yourself and with Mondelez, uh, you know, we find that obviously the food and beverage industry is very competitive. Um, you know, they're trying to find the, the latest brand, the, the newest item, 
um, the, the best uh, marketing in, in these types of things. Um, it breeds competition, but um, we find that some of the most create the, the best creativity and, and some of the best uh, thought leadership comes from sticking to values and um, and finding really what what matters to you. You had talked earlier about when you're looking, you know, getting started in the business, um, really sticking to things that you care about and uh, things that you have a passion for. Uh, in terms of your inspiration and in terms of Mondelez's inspiration and values and those types of things, um, can you speak a little bit to that in terms of um, how that drives your actions and, and how that uh, kind of uh, inspires you guys to keep going? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to speak to big Mondelez because I've kind of I've, I've highlighted on that. But but I think with from an investing standpoint with founders, you have founders that are in it because they have beliefs, because that's the that's what's going to carry the day. Not just like, oh, I'm going to pump a lot of money into this thing and grow this thing and then sell it to somebody, because that's like not like there's very few people that can do that. And and they've already done it and they can keep doing it. They've got a formula. I think that you need you know, you want founders and then their businesses that stand that mean something and really mean something to consumers. And you really want founders that are that are standing up for, I believe in, it could be, by the way, it doesn't all have to be health and wellness. It can be indulgence, but they, 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 they're building a brand for, for consumers that they want to have a true, true connection with. Those are the brands that are succeeding and they, they, they stick to their guns. Even, you know, in, even in the hard times, they stay with what got them there and what they believe in and the consumers that are their loyalists believe in. It's like, it's a really, simple principle we you know we we want to be the snack for you and we're going to continue to do that and we're not going to move off of it right we you trust us because we have done this x y and z with our product and then then what 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 happens when all of a sudden i start bringing ingredients that they never wanted in the first place and that were outside of why why i was doing this in the first place you lose that connection now at some point you have to be honest if it's not working you pivot but that two-way communication, that two-way relationship with consumers is everything. But you have to have values and you have to stand for something. It doesn't mean I have to like it, but you got to stand for something. That's a really good point. Um, to your, and, and, you know, with Murphy's, it, we, we try to cater to the community. You know, we live in the community. Um, we go to, our kids go to school here. And, and that's the inspiration with us is, is really just trying to, uh, provide the best food uh, that, that a family would be happy to, to walk away from a store, uh, feel like they got value for and that they could feed their family nutritionally. Um, th th those are the types of values and, and some of the reasons that, um, that Murphy's, uh, you know, the things that inspire us. Um, so I think that's all the time that we have today. Um, Tappan, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, great conversation, a lot of wonderful insights. Um, Tappan, what, what would be a good place to reach uh, to yourself or a member of Mondelez, uh either through social media or through a website? Um, what's the way for a, a consumer to reach you? I'll give you two ways. One is my email address. I'm happy to put it out there. It's my Tappan Shaw. So Tappan, T-A-P-A-N dot Shaw, S-H-A-H at M-D-L-Z dot com. Uh, so tapping.shaw at mdlz.com. Any, any, anybody out there is welcome to email me. 
And if you want to learn more, you can go to, um, you can visit us at snackfutures.com. There's even a submission if you want, if you have a, an interesting brand that you want to submit to us, you know, happy to, happy to take a look there as well. We're excited to, to be engaged in the entrepreneurial community. And, and again, love what Murphy's is doing, what you guys are doing, Ron. And I, I really appreciate you guys having me on today. Thanks again, Tappan. Great conversation. That's all the time we have today for the entrepreneurial mindset community. Uh, look for this episode and future episodes to be posted on our LinkedIn site and our social media. Oh.